Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch, rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So is there anything really like hunting coons at night behind some some good coon hounds? Uh, for a guy like me, no. <laughs> One of my favorite things that I've enjoyed since I was thirteen or fourteen, man. I that's uh there's not much better for me. I enjoy yeah. it. I, I love hunting, but uh if I had to give up every kind of hunting and do one, it'd be following a good hound. Following a good hound. I mean, there's a reason why every now and then I have to take a break from the bird dog world and the bird dog training and all that fun stuff. I love it. That's what I do on a, on a regular basis. But the thing that got me into the gun dog world was coon hounds. And every, time, every now and then I got to take a break and go back to the woods and chase hounds because, uh, you know, I dipped my toe in it to to begin with you know just fun hunt i never did the night hunts or or the tournaments like we did tonight uh but it, it's just something different and uh you know for for the listeners right now they're like who are you talking to right now adam french you are a longtime friend of harold's y'all grew up together right yes we grew up together um and so we got me and harold got to talking like man it's been a while since we've been on a good coon hunt and he and he arranged for me to come up here with you. We were trying to get him to come up, but his work schedule is just a little too crazy for that right now. But you took pity, and uh, you saw that I was jonesing for a good 
coon hunt and you invited me up to come on this uh, night championship and it was it was a PKC event, right? Like Correct. What, what was the name of the the it trial was, tonight? It was the PKC National Championship. Okay. What can anybody just sign up for that, or do you have to be invited or earn, earn your way into it? No, the uh, the nationals you have to qualify. So there's multiple ways you can qualify. Uh, one way, which is how I qualified, is if your dog is a gold champion in the PKC registry, you can hunt in the nationals every year. And a gold champion in PKC means you have a lifetime earnings of at least $10,000 on your dog. $10,000. Yeah, I guarantee you there's some listeners that their eyebrows just raised up a little bit. $10,000 to qualify. Yeah. So you have to earn $10,000 just to qualify. That doesn't even mean that you're the champion, that you've that you've earned all that money and you hadn't even won the big one yet. So right. I think... You know, we're going to talk a lot tonight about the overall just kind of lifestyle of houndsmen and, and really kind of getting back to the basics of what it really is. But there's a there's a lot of large disconnect between the average person, even dog owner and houndsmen. You know, they it's a completely different world that they're unaccustomed to. So like when you throw out that number, you just said that like it's just it's nothing new for you. You've heard it a million times, but there are people listening to this. They're like ten thousand dollars. Uh, you know, on, on a coon hunting championship, like, you know, I think it would open a lot of eyes for them to understand that there's a lot of money at play in some of these trials and tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially in the, the PKC kind of is the front runner, I guess they have been for a while in the, the money hunts and there's a couple other registries now that are starting to get into it. But, uh, in a way it's kind of like horse racing in a way, if you want to get, if you want to compare it to another sport, like, uh, there's a lot of people that like owning dogs because they can win all that money. You know, a lot of people with a lot of money that uh, you don't want to invest in a good dog. And, uh, you know, people think that, you know, I guess it's just coon hunting and it kind of has that rap that it's, a, you know, you're redneck out there chasing <laughs> something around the dark. But And I guess you kind of are, but uh, there's a lot of money in sport, you know, just in dogs and going to these big hunts. I mean, there's they had a PKC had a hunt this last year. And first place took home a hundred thousand. Wow! And uh, that was the biggest one they'd ever had. But it's like it seems like more and more they just keep up in the pots. Well, and I mean, we're kind of talking on the way out tonight to where houndsmen are just a different breed. You know, it, it's one of those yeah. things. I, I had my red bone, and you know, we'll, we'll get into the different breeds and and you know the the ones that you really want to get and the ones you really don't want to get. We were talking about you really have to want it to to remain because i mean let's face it you're out every night chasing these coons bobcats mountain lions whatever it is you, you're out you know throughout the entire night and uh it can if you need sleep if you value sleep at all it, it can get a little daunting and you gotta have some motivation to get out there besides just you know i love it right you know as often as you guys go because you guys y'all aren't doing it like once a week you guys are doing it more often than not. Like almost every night, y'all are out for a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, it definitely takes a different breed. I think it, you have to love it, and you have to, if you want to compete on the level of the dogs like we hunted with tonight, and you know to to be competitive in those big pot hunts, you have to put in those hours. You know, you're you're uh, you're not going to hunt one night a week with a dog and and go out and compete with dogs like we hunted with tonight. You know, yeah. they got to be in shape and. And, uh, you know, like hunts like tonight, you may hunt two hours in the early round and then you're going to go out and hunt another hour and a half and you're going to wake up 
you're going to wake up. With, you're not even going to go to bed, probably. You're going <laughs> to see the sun come up. But you have to be conditioned for that, and so does your dog. And, you know, if you want to be, if you want to win, you got to do that, you know. Treeing a coon at 5 o'clock at night is a lot different than treeing one at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. They move different. And uh, your dog's not going to treat those coons if he never gets the opportunity to treat one. He never gets to practice at night. So you got to you gotta put in the time and make sacrifices to to uh, get him ready for that and put in those hours, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's like anything else, man. If you're, you know, if you're in sports or anything else, man, what, what you put into it is when you're going to get out with it. Get out of it, sorry. But, uh, you know, you got to love it. And then uh, if you're out there and you get a rush from hearing those dogs break the silence or hear one come treed right. And you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you guys are hunting a good bird dog and you sit lock up and you, that's, you just get that rush and yeah. you can't, if you know you don't get it, I can't explain it to you, I guess. And that's what I tell everybody is like, you really just have to go do it. Like, you know, yeah. you, you can see it on YouTube videos. You can see it on cell phone videos, uh, yeah. you know, audio recordings. Like you can get a, a certain amount of respect for, for what it is by watching or, or listening to something with, with the hounds band and stuff like that. But until you're actually out in the woods at night, with everything that you know, just the ambiance of woods at night, it's a completely different thing than than in the day, right? Absolutely. You know, it, ju- just from the sounds and just the feel of it, and then oh, yeah. then those coon hounds start ripping and they start baying, and and you know, tonight it, it this was my first competition hunt, right? I've only been on just meat hunts or yeah. just fun hunts, and so it was kind of interesting to where you guys had four dogs. And, uh, see, I keep wanting to call it a brace, but it's a cast, right? Correct. A cast. So bird dogs, brace, right. you know, so oh, yeah. I knew where you were coming from. Yeah. Uh, but so four dogs and a cast four four handlers yes. and within those four handlers, one of those handlers is the quote unquote guide. Yes. And then one is the judge. Correct. And so the guide's job is pretty much to, to guide the hunt and the location, right? Yeah. Take you one of his hunting spots and, you know. As you're hunting it, give you, you know, give you an idea of what the train looks like to where your dog's at or where you're going. Okay, and the judge is there to keep score, make sure the rules are followed. But what I found really interesting is number one, his dog's on the ground too. He's participating in this. Yep. But you kind of have a, a backup committee, kind of a checks and balances system within each cast to where if you guys disagreed with something with the judge, then all three of y'all can vote on it is that is that did i say that correct? yeah that's that's a pretty good way to put it you know checks and balances and uh you know it's your job as a handler to know the rules just as well as he does yeah you know because uh, a lot of times i'll just pick a guy out of the group to be a judge you know it could have been me you know which i was guiding tonight so usually it's not you're not usually the judge and guide but it can happen and uh yeah checks and balances is a real good way to put it because you know n- nobody's perfect and you know you make a bad call and then Next guy, you know, speak up and say something, and then we get it right. So, yeah. So, it works. So, I'm curious, just, you can be as honest as you want on this. Have you ever been out there to where that kind of plays against you a little bit, like a judge on the ground? Have you ever had somebody kind of, you know, overreach on that to where the th- three other guys had to be like, hey, man, you know, yeah, bring it back down to earth? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't, but I, it's never been too bad and usually you know if you're you got a guy like that the other three is pretty good to 
<laughs> keep them in check. Because that's what the whole time I was out there, you know, I'm I'm that guy. Like, I just want to shut up and take it all in and, yeah. and learn. Like, I know nothing out there besides I'm just along for the ride, right? Yeah. And uh, I was just sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, what would the bird dog world be like if the people running the test were also the judges? Yeah. And, and the guides, you know kind of that honor system to where the fact that y'all have been doing these type of trials and night hunts for so long under, you know, similar guidelines, it's, it's kind of impressive. Like you said, a lot of people with their first instinct might be like, Oh, it's just rednecks in the woods with, with hounds. Right. Right. But you guys are operating on essentially a checks and balances system and an honor system Yeah. to where, you know, it matters. I, I, I sat there and watched the judge ask handlers different times. Did you call this? Did you call that? Like, yeah, it's, it's your word, oh, you yeah. know? And, and that's one thing that I can't think of another thing that I've been, uh, exposed to in the dog world to where you have that honor system to where nobody's, you know, overly emotional about their dogs and their outcome to where it's going to get in the way of everybody else, right? Like, yeah. that, I think that's something that's pretty unique in the dog world. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that does happen, though, and people get emotional with it. You know, we didn't see any of it tonight, and it, it rarely happens, especially at this level with when you give dogs that are this good and, you know, and are that good at their job, the handlers can't really affect that much because yeah. the dogs are doing doing what they're supposed to do yeah you know and at this level let's start there what is a high level coon dog what are they acting like because what you're just alluding to the handler when you get to this level isn't really doing a whole lot besides calling the game pretty much so at this level with a a high profile coon hound you know they're to be good to win in these hunts from first part they have to have a big motor and by big motor i mean they're tireless hunters and they're, I mean, you saw tonight how far they can travel just to find a coon, you know, and, and they'll do that all night. And then, uh, second thing is they have to be independent. They, uh, dogs are naturally pack animals, but we, we train them to not be, and we breed them to not be to where they're, we call, you know, they're a loner. They're doing their own thing all the time. Like tonight we hunted four dogs, but how many times did you see two dogs on the same tree? Not, not never. one, not and, once. And at this level, you don't want to do that. You don't want them together because you, you score more points when you're by yourself. And so the name of the game is to have that big motor and tree coons fast by yourself. So real quick, I know this this is there's a lot to it, but like just for the people listening, kind of break down the scoring system and how it acts and, and how the handler has to call this stuff because the people listening, they they don't have any clue because I didn't even have a clue when I came out here and, and then really kind of seeing it in action. I still have a lot of questions, but it makes a lot more sense now when you're actually there and you hear everybody saying, oh, that's my dog striking up. Oh, that's my dog on tree. Right. So with like the hunt we were at tonight in PKC rules, uh, when your dog strikes in on a track and you strike your dog, the first dog to strike gets 100 points and the second one gets 75 and then 50, 25. And then... The way tree points work is the first dog that is declared tree gets 100 points, and then a five-minute clock starts as soon as he trees. And if another dog trees in the next 30 seconds from when he treed, they get 75 points. And then in the next 30 seconds, you get 50 points. But after that minute's up, all you can tree for is 25. Mm. So you're being rewarded for being the first dog to tree and doing it quickly. Now, 
does it have to be productive? Does there have to be a coon in the tree? Yes. And so with those points, say you struck first and you treed first, that's 200 points. And if you have a coon, you get 200 plus points. If you have a slick tree, which is a tree that's empty, there's nothing in it, you get 200 minus. Or if there's a tree that's like a den tree, it's got a hole in it, a nest, a place where a coon could be, they'll they'll circle it. Those will be circle points. And basically all circle points are, are points they use for a tiebreaker at the end if you have a tie. They don't count for you, they don't count against you, but... They can be. They can help you win the cast at the end of the hunt if you're in a tie. And how often does that really happen? Is that kind of indicative or, or dependent on the time of year? Because we came across three den trees tonight. Yeah. And just one run. Is that something that happens that often? Yeah. It it's very very indicative in the time of the year. Uh, like right now, a lot of the sows are having kittens, and so they're they're dinned up a lot, and you'll get a lot of trees like that. Den trees. Uh, in the January, February, when it's real cold, they'll be rutting, uh, and the sows will den up, and then the boars will run from den to den breeding. So, so that's the the pointing structure. And again, like you have four handlers, four dogs. You let your dogs out, and like you said, they're all over the place. You, you have no idea. You know, the people that are listening to this, they're primarily dog, uh, bird dog people. So, you know, yeah, there's some bird dogs that that they stretch the field, you know, they're three, four, 500 yards out, especially if they're field trial lines. So there's some people out there that, you know, are used to their dogs being a little further range. Most of us, I'd say probably a hundred under yeah. uh, for the foot walker and, and the walking hunter. Your coon hounds though, I asked you at one point, how far off is he? And you're like, oh, he's just 800 yards. And I'm yeah. just like, yeah, just 800. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, when we finished off and, and we went to go get him and he was on that den tree, we couldn't necessarily hear him. He was so far off and yeah. the den tree was hollow underneath and he was baying into the tree. So you couldn't hear him from where we were. And how far off was he initially on that before we started walking his way? When we were standing along that edge listening, he was eight tenths of a mile. That's that's some serious range, and yeah. a, a lot of people, you know, they're bird dog people, especially. They're like, man, like they couldn't imagine their dogs being on point that far out, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. The dogs are spread out all over the place. You know, you you might hear one bark here, one go over there, and then it's very important walk us through what as a handler what you're listening for and what your job as the handler is there to do like i already called it just you know you're calling calling the game essentially you're calling the plays but like what's happening and how do you call them so basically especially right out of the truck when we cut loose you know you want to get in struck when everybody's starting to strike in you want to get a good strike right out of the truck because uh and a strike is when a dog picks up game pr- trail, yeah, when right? they start open track, and that's that's important. But uh, they have what they call is they call babbling, which are dogs that just start barking right off the lead. And uh, so another rule they have to prevent that is as soon as you turn loose, there's a minute where you don't have to strike your dog if they bark. But if you do strike your dog when they bark, they have to show that they're going to take a track out of there. So say you turn loose and a dog just starts barking its head off and the guy strikes it and then it shuts up and you don't hear it for another long time. Then that dog takes a minus for whatever he struck in for point-wise because you have to show that you're taking a game track out of there. Yeah. 
And that and that just keeps people from every time their dog barks. Yes. You call on a strike. Like it's yep. you have to know the difference. First off, you have to know recognize your dog yep. out of the other four out there. And then you have to understand what they're they're opening up on. Yep. You know, is it just a regular bark? Is it uh, you know what what do you know like based on when your dog barks exactly what they're doing or chasing usually i mean yeah. i know you know there's special circumstances like tonight yeah. what the dentry we we're just talking about but yeah you you that's one thing that was really impressive to me you coming from this was the first time i've been out with four coonhounds at one time it's always been i've done a couple coonhounds with two dogs usually just one dog this is the first time, and it's like, y'all didn't hesitate when y'all's dog would bark. Is just y'all immediately called it, just, you know, not strike. And, the, you know, yeah. the, the other dogs, it was uh, it was pretty impressive to me, like, just the amount of time going back to, that you have to spend preparing your dogs. You have to do that to prepare yourself by just recognizing your dog's voice and what they're saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's just as, just as important as getting your dog itself ready. You got to know them. And, uh, you know, typically I can tell you, like when we hunted not tonight, I can, I can typically tell you what he's always doing. You know, if he makes a bark, you know, I can tell you if it's a, a good track, a bad track, you know, what, what he's doing, you know, if he's, he's starting to look up or he's checking a tree, you know, I can, I can tell you about whatever you want to know. And usually guys like myself that have been to a lot of hunts and go to a lot of hunts, you can get about halfway through the cast and they'll know what your dog's doing too. Yeah. And I could, you know. Y'all are just that in tune to, to yeah. how hounds work, essentially. Yeah, and like tonight, you know, a couple of those dogs, you know, I could, there was a young boy hunting that, hunting a dog that was really loud, and you could tell that, that he hadn't hunted a lot, but I could tell that, you know, I could call that dog right now. If yeah. I wouldn't hunt him, I could tell you what he's doing. But he was, he was loud, and, you know, he was, he was an easier one to call, but. I was impressed by that little boy. I, I don't yeah. know how old he was. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but. It was impressive to me. I mean, if I had to guess, I don't know, fourteen. Yeah, probably I'd somewhere guess that too. somewhere around that. And he was standing right up there with the adult men, and just I mean, outspoke a lot more outspoken to you guys than what I would have been at, at his age. Like yeah. that was I, I was sitting there like, yeah, man, yeah, man, go get it, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was kind of neat seeing him interact with his dog, and and I think his dad was you know uh, with us too. But you know, he he just stayed out of it and let let his boy run that. Yeah, it was just cool, man. Yeah. Some dads aren't like that out there. They want to get involved. <laughs> but he was pretty cool. So, I mean, is that is there a lot of youth coming up in this? Is, yeah. Or is it a healthy number of kids kind of getting into it and keeping it alive? Yeah. Uh, I would say the numbers have went down since I started as far yeah. as kids. There's still some kids going. You know, I, you know, I think the, the they have a youth program, PKC does, which is just kids hunting against kids. Mm. They have a youth world hunt, and uh, they, I think they get some decent numbers, but I'd say they've went down some. But, uh, so when did, still decent. when did you start, you know, I guess we could have started this whole episode, you know, kind of getting to know the guest a little bit, right? Like, so how yeah. long ago have you been, been running hounds and what kind of got you into it to begin with? Well, I guess to start with my dad, before I got into hounds, my dad was a bird dog guy and, uh, he had English pointers and, uh, that's what really got me into it starting was I love, I started bird hunting with my dad and, uh. I, I loved going with my dad and you know he uh he taught me from a young age that uh 
there's a lot of dogs out there and if you're gonna go hunting hunt you're gonna hunt a good one and i've I, that stuck with me hard since i've been young and uh he had some good bird dogs some really good ones and that got me going and then i was like 13 or 14 and i just got the itch so i wanted to something about hounds i wanted to go and i had an uncle my uh my dad's sister her husband danny songer he took me he had a couple hounds and he took me and i'll never forget the first hunt we went on i was i think i was 13 or 14 he had this big blanket back red-headed gorgeous hound he's probably 70 80 pounds big dog and had the mouth to go with it he just looked like he was loud and he was and he called him bud and we hunted him and then a pup he had we went down by a little town called shamrock and uh, we treed two coons he trailed one in along a creek i mean i it's crazy how well i remember this still <laughs> he trailed it along a creek and treed it and then uh he cut him off that and he went and just fell treed which they call they call it tree and a layup like you just dog just goes in there and falls treed and he was good at it he could tree some layups because i hunted with him a lot after that and from that first night i was hooked yeah. i mean i was i was hooked hard i was been hooked ever since to be honest with you but uh school nights and everything you're yeah you're going out it was a school night when we first went that night and uh you know i after that i, I went with him anytime i could and then uh you know, I was so young, I didn't have a job or anything, and I started begging my mom and dad for a dog. And and we had places, you know, dad had open kennels, like we could, I had a place for a dog, but I just didn't, I didn't have any money. Yeah. And uh, I begged and begged for a dog, and then one Christmas, uh, my mom and dad got me a coon light, and then a subscription to the American Cooner magazine, and uh, that was, it was game over for me after that, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't too long after that, they got me a a walker dog that we called we called him ted my dad bought him off a guy that lived about an hour north of us not quite that far but and uh my dad gave a decent amount of money for him at the time and uh, i didn't realize it then but i do now and it was one of the best things my dad ever did for me was give me that dog because he probably kept me out of a lot of trouble that in high school and afterwards because i spent a lot of nights hunting that dog and that dog probably taught me more about coon hunting than any person ever could, really. Yeah. He, uh, I'll always be thankful for my dad for getting me that dog because, you know, he could have went and just got me a pup or some dog and be like, here, go coon hunting. But that's not how my dad operated. He wanted me to have a good one. Yeah. And he got me a good one, man. And I wish I, I could win with that dog now. But I didn't know that then, you know. Yeah. I just I was just having fun with him. But he was a lot better dog than I knew he was. Yeah. Well, I mean, your dad, like you said, he always said, if you're going to do it, have have a good one. So yeah. he knew the value of a good hunting dog. And if you're going to do it, let's do it right. And, yeah. and you're going to, you're just going to enjoy it that much more because Absolutely. of it. So he probably saw the opportunity. Like he wants to get in coon hunting. This is going to keep him out of trouble and in the woods instead of, you know, out on the streets doing whatever. Yeah. Let's get him a good coon dog and that's going to make him stay in the woods even more. Absolutely. And, and it worked, man. It, it it definitely worked, and uh, I think that's exactly what he thought. And, and you know, Dad went with me a lot back then, and I think he enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah. And you know, I I always be thankful for that. And uh, so you just jumped in with two feet in the coon dog world. You you never really got into the bird dog world then, even though that's what you kind of started out and cut your teeth in, right? Yeah, I mean that's uh, I was just 
hit the ground running after that. I just, uh, I just took to it, man. I just, something about coon hunting got me more. I still like the bird hunting. I, you know, still would go dad, but coon hunting was where my, my passion was at. So he started you off with a walker dog. Yep. For those that are listening, let's pretend like they have no idea what the, the coon hound world consists of. Let's name all, all the coon dog breeds. You know, you, you mentioned you had your walker. Yep. I had my red bone, your blue ticks, your English coon hounds, black and tans. What else are we missing? That's that's probably the main five, right? Okay, yeah. So you said you said walkers, black and tans, blue ticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, red bones. Red bones, English dogs. Yep. Yeah, that's those are your main five. Now, what about a red tick? Yeah, that's pretty. That's an English dog. Uh, I was about to say, you know, yeah. some people know it's a red tick, and then other people are English yeah. English dog. So same yep. thing. Yep, same thing. All right. So those are the, those are the five main ones, right? And probably for the people that aren't involved in coonhounds, that aren't actually hunting them or testing them, probably the most recognizable one it would be either your. Uh, red bone because of where the red fern grows you right. know everybody read that growing up oh yeah but also like you know maybe the ut mascot i think what that's a blue tick right yeah smoky's blue tick. yeah smoky's a blue tick so oh, yeah. uh, you know those are probably your two main ones that people can kind of associate with yeah uh but one thing we talked about it on the way out there and again i, I just kind of randomly check back into coon hunting because it's something i can't do on a regular basis with right. with my lifestyle and job and all that stuff but occasionally it's just like man I, I need a good coon hunt let's go out and really all you see mainly now is walkers and english dogs yeah uh that you know i i've yet to see somebody actually hunting a black and tan bl or blue tick or red bone you said occasionally you might see one has it really just over the decades really just those dogs have kind of proven out to be those are your if you want to win those are the type of dogs you probably need to run more consistently yeah i would say the walkers are definitely the dominant dominant one in the in the the competition side of it uh Blue, you see some good blue ticks and uh, some English dogs too, but like uh, black and tans and red bones. Uh, I'm not saying they aren't out there. I just, I uh, since I've been hunting and competition hunting, I've maybe seen one or two. Yeah, that are that were decent. That's you know? interesting. It, wh why do you think that is? Do you think it was just kind of watered down, or or was there certain characteristics that just kind of got overshadowed once the walkers came on scene i would i would say characteristics is what i think uh for like the you talking about the elite level dogs now i think those are those traits are you see a lot more in walker dogs than you do in the others uh i would say the english dogs are pretty close behind from my experience i've hunted with some pretty good ones and uh, if i wasn't hunting a walker dog it'd probably be an english dog i've hunted some I actually ha I had one at one time, but uh, those traits, you know, big motors, you yeah. know, you don't you don't see a big motor in a blue tick that often, which isn't a bad thing, you know. If you that's what you like, you want a pleasure hunt and just you know that's not bad. Yeah. But uh, if you want them to move around fast and and uh, tree a lot of coons quick, you know, you're not you don't see that as much in the blue tick breed. But uh, I would say that with red bones too. So. Let's talk about the difference between your your competition dog and your pleasure dog. Like you, you've mentioned that a couple times. 
you said earlier you have your own style that you like to hunt with. Yeah. Uh, is there any difference between how you like to hunt pleasure hunting or competition hunting? Like, is there any difference or you just kind of keep it consistent whether you're just out by yourself having fun or competing? Yeah. I see. I've heard people say that, you know, they say the dog's a, well, he's a competition dog or, you know, or whatever. To me, it's the same. You know, I, I pleasure hunt and coon hunt way more than I go to the hunts. So they have to be the same for me. And those dogs that are winning those big hunts and doing all that, they win because they treat coons. And if you pleasure hunt them, they're going to treat just as many coons. So I think it's the same. You know, I, I'm a true believer in that. It's uh, they're the same dog. It, the you know those those big time money winners they win because they treat a lot of coons. Yeah. And uh, for me, I want the same thing as in, in a pleasure dog that I want in a competition dog, just because that's what I like. Well, and that's kind of how it's supposed to be, right? The whole yeah. the whole point of hunt tests and trials and everything, it they kind of originated with. Let's find out who has the best hunting dog. Absolutely. You know, key word there is hunting dog, right? Yep. You know, it seems, and it's not just the coon dog world. It's not just the bird dog world. It's like all dog worlds to where, it, unfortunately, in the hunting dog space, it seems like there's a lot of people that start chasing papers. Yep. And, you know, each their own, whatever gets them into the world, that that's fine. But, you know, it is kind of worrisome with when so many people start coming out to where, like, they don't even hunt, and it's all they want to do is compete. And again, you know, each their own. This is America. God bless you. Have fun. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like that we're kind of doing ourselves a disservice to, to the dogs in a lot of way to where all we're interested in is test results now in, in a lot of ways. Yep. And it's just like, you know, go back, go back to the basics. Like we're here to develop hunting dogs. So like the papers don't mean anything if you're not hunting the dogs. Yeah. Oh yeah. I totally agree with you on that, man. I, and I, I think that's a great way to look at it because, uh, you know, just saying like that, if, if, if you got a dog and he goes in the hunts and he, he wins a lot cause he can tree, he can tree four or five coons in two hours. You go pleasure hunting and you treat four or five coons in two hours, you're going to yeah. love it just as much. Yeah. You know, because that's just because that's a good dog. Yeah. You know, that's a good hunting dog. And that's what makes him a winner. Yep. So, dude, sell me, romanticize it up, church it up a little bit for me, the pleasure hunt. Like, what what's in it for you? Like, what what do you like about it so much? I guarantee you there's people listening like, can you know, what do you do with a coon? Like, you know, if you're pleasure hunting it and it's season do you take one? What do you do with it? Because a lot of people can't associate really eating a coon or, you know, the fur prices haven't been up in forever. I mean, it seems like there was a bounce, what, a couple, you know, a decade or two ago, but since then it's been flat. So like when you're out hunting, are you, are you leaving the coons after they tree them like you do in the night hunts or are you taking some every now and again for the dogs? No, in, in season, I'll usually take them because I uh, you know a lot of places that I get to hunt, you know, people People want me to take them mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, they're farmers or whatever else. And so I, I'll take plenty of them. And uh, I used to, when I first started, I'd skin them all. You know, and there was a, when I was in junior high, high school, you could you could get some money out of some hides. You know, and it, the markets went way down since then. You know, and uh, I don't skin, skin near as many now as I used to. I'll skin some now and keep them for messing with puppies and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I still take plenty of them during season because, like I said, most of the places, they want me to hunt. Like, yeah, you can hunt, but you you got to kill them. Yeah. So, we do. And, and I think it'd surprise a lot of people if if you know how to handle it, just how good 
coon tastes. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had it, and you know, I think it gets a bad rap. It does. I mean, it's you know, you're not you're not gonna go flash fry it on, on the grill or anything and cook right. it medium rare and be like, man, this is some good coon right here. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's like the few times I've done it. You know, the ma- the main thing was you do a good good skin on it and then remove the scent glands. And then slow cook it, you know, put yeah. it in a crock pot and with some broth and some onions and vegetables and stuff and then taco it up, man. Oh, it's, yeah. it's some good stuff. I, you'd be surprised if somebody that ate it and they'd be like, this is pretty good. What is this? Yeah. You're like, oh, that's coon. Then they'd freak out. Yep. You know, I, I, like, I took Hank Shaw. The last time I, I, I cooked coon, I took Hank Shaw's uh, venison barbacoa recipe and just subbed coon in for it. And, dude, it was fantastic. No, we had a house full of people, and nobody could tell you that it wasn't just shredded beef. Like it was fantastic. <laughs> Did you tell them it was coon? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I'm not, you know, I'm yeah. not. I was telling everybody like, but you know, you know how it goes. So oh, yeah. you, you, everybody's kind of intrigued, and all it takes is that one other person to try it. Like, man, that's that's pretty that's good. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And then oh, let me try it. Let me yeah. try it. And then next thing you know, the whole house tried it, and they're like, this is good. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and say like, you know. It's the best tasting meat out there, but it's by far not the worst tasting meat that I've had. Oh yeah, I'm with you, man. I think it it gets a bad rap just because yep. it's a now. I'm, it's a now I'm I'm not about to eat one of those trash pandas that you find like in the city or something. Oh yeah, like but, a thirty pounder. <laughs> yeah, it's like the one that's been up in the trash. You have oh, no yeah. idea what they've been eating, but the ones out in the country, like out here, that are just oh, yeah. you know eating up the farmhands corn over here. Like, oh yeah, you know I'll I'll, I'll definitely tear into those. Yeah, I'll give it a shot <laughs> for sure. So, so uh, I mean, talk to me. Like, all right, another interesting aspect on these night hunts you're telling me is usually like to you can qualify if you fail to qualify you can pay and re-enter the same tournament the next day for a higher fee so like you you can actually buy your way back in for a second chance to say if you have a bad night yeah like uh like i we honestly we had one tonight to where you know he didn't have the run that you're you're wanting and and hoping for and we didn't make the cut, so I, I asked you afterwards, like, so are you going to pay for the, you know, tomorrow? And and I guess this isn't the type of tournament you can do that. But talk to me, like, about that reentry fee because that's another interesting aspect that's completely foreign to me from the bird dog world. Yeah, so uh, most of the big events that PKC has and a couple of other registries do too, they're the big ones that have like the World Hunt and the National Championship, and then they have the Super Stakes, which is their big puppy hunt. They have one in the spring and one in the fall, and uh, They'll usually be all week, and they'll have three. Usually Monday through thir- Monday through Thursday will be qualifying nights, and basically the way that works is, in that night you have to win an early round and a late round. So if you win your early round, you go out again in the late round, and if you win that late round, you advance to Friday night, and you ha- you get those four nights to try to do that. So you'll pay a smaller fee, hundred. 180 bucks on Monday, and then maybe 300 to re-enter on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So, and it's like you said, it's they're dogs. So you can have a bad night, and <laughs> yep. you know you got a good one. And you have a bad night, and then you know you have other nights you can try again. So it's a good it's a good deal, you know, with uh, the way they do that. And it's a good idea because, uh, like I said, they're dogs, and you know, bad night, and you get a chance to try again tomorrow. 
Well, that, I mean, the dog's going to have a bad night. The handler can call things wrong. And, yeah, and make and a bad call. And make a bad call. You. Yeah, and the dog did everything it was supposed to do, and it just didn't do it. But, no, it, it's it's interesting to me. I mean, the, the whole aspect of the fact that, like, I mean, I don't know if there's another sport in America that's as old with hunting with dogs as coonhounds. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I guess you could probably lump in all that, you know, coonhounds, your squirrel dogs, and, and your cat dogs, probably all the same thing way back when. They used to probably do all of it together. Yeah. Do you do anything uh, in addition to coons, or is it just coons for you? You only let your dogs run coons. Yeah, just just coons because, like I said, uh, as much as I like to go to the competition hunts, uh, I feel like you're just introducing problems. Yeah. You know, you're... Uh, you get a dog that likes squirrels, and uh, it's just gonna if it's gonna cost you, you know, it cost you a chance to go in the quarterfinals of the national championship. Yeah, I'm gonna be kicking myself for doing that. You know. Well, so how do you train that? How do you get them to stop running trash, whatever you want to call it, and concentrate on exactly what you want? Because I think there's a misconception to where a lot of people is just. In the hound world, there is an element of buy good bloodlines and then just go run your dogs, and, yeah. and they're going to figure it out. But there is some training that you guys do, yeah. right? You Absolutely. know, it, it's not like you just throw them out there and say you either got it or you don't. Y'all do some training. So, like, yep. what do you do with a dog that is running uh, the the species that you're not targeting? Uh, you breed for it, I'd say to start with, but uh, I like. A dog that I like, I like a dog that can work a track and can run a track. You know, some dogs are looking to get treed and some dogs are looking to run a track. And uh, I like ones that can work a track. So with what you're saying, when they're little, like uh, I'll start hunting around six months old. And when they're from about six months old to a year, I'll let them run whatever they want just so they can build that track power. You know, they get to, I mean, I don't let them run deer all night. You know, but if they want to run a deer or coyote when they're seven or eight months old, that's okay. You just know, fire up their drive. Yeah. You're just firing up that engine. Yeah, you're feeding that. You're feeding that want to run a track to to run it to catch it. Yeah. You know, if you're running coon tracks to catch it, you're gonna run. You're gonna run them up a tree and tree them quicker. You know, that's kind of my philosophy. And I didn't used to be that way. I used to be tree, tree, tree. And you know, you, when they were little, you wanted to get them treeing, but you don't. You don't make as accurate dogs that way. In my opinion, I haven't. In my experience, you know, you, you get a dog that wants to tree a lot, and he may he may tree three coons, but he may make six trees, and you're going to have three slicks and three mm -hmm. coons. So I want that one that's going to make three trees, and all of them have coons in it. And I feel like to get there, you would, you do it with track power, to me. In, yeah. my, in the line of dogs I've hunted, that's what I've had success with, is when they're little, if they want to run junk, I'll let them run junk. And... They kind of get the one past couple I've had, they'll kind of get to an age when they'll start treeing coons and they'll kind of break themselves off it a little bit. They'll get to where they like running those coons a lot better than they like running that coyote or that deer. And, uh, but if not, you can, you can start bumping them a little bit with an e-collar once they get a certain, I don't like doing it when they're little. Yeah. I won't, but when they get a certain age, you have to, you have to break it for good. But most of the ones I've had, like I got a pup now. He was that way. He was so junky when he was young, but <laughs> he had such a big motor, man. When I when he do it, I just was sit there and let him do it, and was in a, and he has a big loud mouth, and I just 
I've been excited about him because he's doing that, and then he started to break himself off of it, and that that'll make a good dog. So he just naturally figured out that you weren't really interested in the other stuff you were after this. So like, I mean, does that come from when you get up there and say it is a treat coon, like just a high reward, high praise for the dog? Just yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when they're younger, then when they run junk, you're just you're just not acknowledging it. You're not yeah, getting on to them be yet. Puppies. Yeah, yeah, but but they realize real quick, like, oh, you know, I didn't. Where's my pat on the butt here? Like, yeah. you know, where's my good game? Yeah. And uh, so that that makes a lot of sense. Where I mean, these dogs are smarter than what a lot of people give them credit for. They they figure it out. Yeah. And um, what are some of the other things that you guys train for? Like, you know, is, are you doing drags? Are you doing the cage coon? I know that was something way back when, when I was first getting into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it talks to me like, what's your normal like training routine from puppy to man? We're just hunting the dog now. We're just having fun out in the woods. Yeah, man. I uh, since I first started to now, I would say my training philosophy has changed a ton. Uh, used to be, you know, I would. I'd start with the cage coons and do the drags and I wouldn't do it very far. And I just, you know, get them treeing like I was just talking about, you know, get them treeing on those drags and get them treeing on a cage coon. But now I've kind of totally changed that to where when they're little, I try to get them out as much as I can and get them in the woods and let them run, you know, let them run loose if I can to where they're just figuring stuff out on their own rather than, you know, my my problem before was I had a couple dogs that, that they made decent dogs, but man, they just want to get treated all the time. Part of that was bloodline, and I think the other part of it was me, you know, enticing them to tree so much at a young age. So you're rewarding the treeing so much that they were kind of not doing an effective track, yeah. and, and they weren't picking up. Maybe it, maybe it kind of ran up, hit the hit the tree, and then kept going. Yeah. It, instead of it trying to pick up the trail, it would just go ahead and start hollering tree because yeah. that's what they thought you wanted. Yeah, as soon as it taps a tree, just bam, grab it yeah. and start treeing. And like, you know, you're not going to win hunts like that because you're going to get minus for all yeah. those slick trees you're making. And I kind of changed my philosophy that uh, I'm going to let them tree whenever they want to tree. You know, I'm not going to entice it at all. I'm yeah, going to let them run, run, run. If it's genetic in there, it's going to come out eventually. It's, oh, yeah. it's kind of like the pointing dogs and the point. Like, it, yep. it's in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. And the dogs now, they've bred so much to tree, they're going to tree. You know, it's just a matter of when. Most of them will tree young anyway, and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But mine now, all the puppies that I've ra been raising and starting, uh, I'll let them tree when they want to tree. You know, I haven't had one yet that never did mm. That I that I've raised. So one thing I got to ask is that this was really interesting to me. Like I knew you guys did it. I, I've, I've been around it before. So like it wasn't shocking, but like I kind of looked at it in a new light tonight when the competition hunt, they tree the coon and y'all go up, leash the dog and y'all pull them off and y'all essentially kind of heal them off uh, away and we leave the coon in the tree. I'm looking at it from a perspective of, the, in the bird dog community, so many people get wrapped up in thinking that the dogs have to have the bird in their mouth, right, for them to understand, like, that's what we're after. But sometimes it really is the hunt. It's the chase. It's the drive. Have you had any dog's drive diminish? Like, you said that you build it up six months to a year. Have you had a dog's drive diminish from pulling them off of trees that they worked really hard to coon, to tree that coon or is it just 
hey, they had their fun, man. It's like they treed the coon. You go up, good boy, leash them up and walk off. You hadn't had any issues. Like, I'm just kind of curious over time if you've ever seen a dog kind of sour on that a little bit. I, I've never had one. You know, I've never I've never had one even come close. You know, they, they love it so much, and it's amazing how much they love it. And, you know, most of the ones I've had, you can take them off that tree and walk them 50 yards and unsnap them, and bam, they're, they're flying, and they're going after another one. But I, I've heard of older dogs, you know, that have been to so many hunts, and eventually they just quit. Yeah. I've right. heard of it. I haven't seen very many, but I've heard of dogs that just, they just get tired of it and they don't do it anymore. They're just like, but you never shoot this thing for me. Why would I keep doing it? Yeah. But they're, they're, <laughs> the ones that I'm thinking of right, right now are dogs that have been to a lot of hunts. Yeah. You know, they just get tired of going to town. Yeah. And uh, I get that. Well, it, it it was just intriguing or interesting to me just because I, I got to thinking, you know, it's sometimes it's very hard to get through to some bird dog people. The best thing you can do is let a bird fly away sometimes. Yeah. And But it's like it's hard when you spend the money on the, the pen-raised bird to let that bird yeah. fly away. You oh, yeah, just I see, see that. You just see a $10 bill flying away. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. And then uh, one breed that we didn't mention, I just now thought of it. I have no idea why. Plot hounds. Yeah, I forgot about plots. We didn't even mention plots. No. And that, that that's arguably probably the oldest hound, isn't it? Yeah, hey, a lot of history behind the plot yeah. breed. Where where do they rank in your, your hierarchy? I've hunted with uh, maybe one. Okay. Like actually hunted, not even in the hunts, but actually hunted with one. Maybe one. I just don't see them very much around here. Yeah. You know? Probably more of a southern thing. I mean, we're we're here in Middle Illinois, so yeah, you know, uh, I wonder if that's more of a southern dog for the most part. Yeah, I know of one guy that didn't live too far from here, and he had some. I heard, I didn't hunt with him that much, but I heard he had some decent ones. But uh, I hunted with one of his one time, and man, I I can't even remember how the hunt went. Yeah, but you just don't see him. Hmm. So you don't really know enough to to really comment on him. No, I I can I haven't seen him that much to. You know, say what I liked yeah. and didn't like. I got you. So, um, in other hunting spaces, bird dogs again, because, again, we're heavy on the bird dog stuff. <laughs> uh, we travel a lot. We go to a lot of places, hunt a lot of different species. Yeah. Do you guys, like, I know you guys will travel for a, a hunt test. Yeah. Do you guys travel just for the pleasure hunt? You know, is, is a coon here the same as a coon in Iowa or, you know, what... Tell me about some of the trips. Like, do you do you get you start dreaming of trips and destinations like we do for birds? Uh, not. I wouldn't say so. Uh, I would say a coon here is the same as a coon in Mississippi or a coon in the Carolinas. It's the same, but it's just about the terrain, I guess. You know, yeah. if you, what do you want to go? You want to go hunt in the hills or hunt swamps, or if you want to do that. Uh, I would say guys do it more more so to get a dog ad, get a, adapt them to different different types of terrain. You know, if, uh, you're raising a pup and you're hunting him in the flat fields in Illinois, he's not going to treat those mountain coons in a hunt if you don't ever hunt him in the mountains. You know. Yeah. So uh, I'd say guys do it more to exposure. to round out their dog. Yeah, exposure and uh, you know get their dogs ready for that if it ever comes to it when the you know, if they have the world or the nationals in the mountains or something, you know. Yeah. You you've hunted in the mountains, so. Yeah. I would say it's more more so that than, like what you're talking with the birds. Yeah. So you know, and starting to kind of wrap this up and 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 tie a little bow on this. Let, let's get back to like the lifestyle of houndsmen because it's, 
for people that have never been in the hound world, it's it's a completely different ball game. It's different mentality, different types of people. Like it's salt of the earth, really blue collar guys. Like you yeah. said, you know, it, the average person probably first thought is just rednecks chasing coons, right? Right. But it it's it's a little different than that. It's just like you know, it's a certain lifestyle to where what you love to do, you you're sacrificing valuable sleep time and yeah. time with your family at night and stuff like that. So there's a lot of sacrifices you guys give up to do what you guys love to do. And so, you know, it's there's a reason why a lot of people fall out of it at a certain age. Yeah. You know, from from my understanding, I I was kind of one of them. I wasn't really heavy into it, but I was into it a little bit and 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 enjoyed it. But, you know, kind of just walk me through like just the passion that you guys have to have for this. I mean, it's like how many nights in a row are you doing this and, and, you know, how understanding does your wife have to be to put up with it, right? Yeah, she's she's got to be really understanding. Uh, I'm pretty blessed with that. My wife grew up around it, and uh, she's very supportive of it, supporting of it, and I'm I'm so thankful for that. And, you know, she, uh, she always asks and helps me with pups, and uh, she's a special, she's special kind with that. You know, she, she loves it a lot. Just, well, she loves it because I do. Yeah. And uh, like you said, it's a lot of nights away, and you gotta love it and want it. Because if if you don't, you're you're not gonna be successful, and you're probably not gonna stick with it. Because man, it's it's a lot of nights away, and uh, it's hard to work a forty hour job and you know hunt a couple hours a night and go to bed and get up and go to work and try to do it again the next day, and then you know get family time in there at the same time. So it's and y'all are, lot, y'all are doing this year round too. This yeah. isn't just a two or three month hunting season and you're off. Y'all do this year round yep. because that's how high of caliber dogs you're competing against that you yep. have to do that. Oh yeah. Cause they have, they have hunts all year round. Like I said, they have a big puppy hunt in the spring and they have a big one in the fall. And then the, the nationals like this hunt was in spring and the world will be in the fall, you know? So there's, there's always a big one you can prepare for coming up all year round. And so, you know, in the summertime, it gets dark at nine o'clock around here, sometimes a little after nine o'clock, you know, and if you, you want to keep going your dog in sharp. 10 p.m. And yeah, you're going to, it's going to be, you're not going to get a lot of sleep that night. And then, you know, it's a, uh, it's a sacrifice that you got to, you kind of got to get your body used to. And uh, your family has to understand that, you know, that's what you want to do. And uh, my wife understands that. And I'm, like I said, I'm very thankful for that, but, uh. Like we talked about before, I guess if you if you don't get it, you just don't get it. But if, yeah. if people have things they love to do, whether whatever your passion is, you know, I guess you can understand that you know if that's what you really love, then that's this is what we love. Oh, uh, we're all nuts in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, there's something you you really uh, like. Yeah, every single dog person is nuts. I mean, you know. The bird dog, I can't tell you how many times I've done a, you know, six hour round trip just to go buy a handful of birds to train my dogs on a weekend, right? Like, you know, I'm sacrificing time and gas money. You know, it's not, I'm not sacrificing sleep anymore, but, you know, everybody sacrifices something to get these dogs trained up if you're serious about it. Absolutely. And so, uh, one of those things, so misconceptions, there's a lot of misconceptions. We've already kind of talked about a number of them, but one thing that me and you were talking about earlier is, you know, it seems like uh, in the dog world, a lot of people are looking at these dogs much more as companions instead of rather than tools like they were, you mm-hmm. know, way back when. Do you, 
do coon hunters do any of them ever have the coon hounds like in the house like as a, as their companion dog inside the house with them or are they oh, all yeah. kind of separate kennels no there's uh both i would say uh there's definitely ones that are companions you know uh i'd say they're special ones the ones that are really nice uh i would say like but the other way too you know uh big thing with the cooning world and the competition side is everybody's looking for a super pup you look for that pup that's really nice and so and that's usually like super stakes age for puppies is one one through three you know and uh guys are really looking for those nice pups that they can go and compete in those hunts with and i would say you know they're they're looking for something you know they're looking to see if that pup's special you know and as much as we hunt year round they figure out pretty quick if that pup's special you know and if he's not then you're probably not going to make him a companion and bring him in the house. And that that's a really big disconnect with people that aren't accustomed to the hound dog world yeah. to where you guys, y'all y'all go in and out of dogs a lot more often than what the average person is probably accustomed to, especially when you start talking about uh, companion dogs yeah. and uh, pet dogs and stuff like that. But bird dogs, you know, there's some people that still do it to where, you know, they'll, they'll sell their, their dogs. Like they'll put two or three years into it. Eh, not quite right. Sell them off. Yeah. But it's really pr- prolific in the hound world. And, yeah. but what you just said is, the main the main years that y'all are looking for is one to three to be really competitive you got to have those dogs in a certain very specific window because that's how like high drive and quick those dogs have to be so like yeah y'all's prime is a lot earlier and and it's really again polarizing from where i'm at because it takes two three four years to get our dogs uh, in the bird dog world and how we test and how we hunt yeah it takes that that many years just to kind of get to the point to where you can even consider yourself calling your dog finished quote unquote yeah and meanwhile like y'all have already you know passed judgment on y'all's dogs what where y'all are at because that's just the world you live in that's the yeah. competition that it's set in so like there is a purpose it's not like y'all are just like oh, i don't like that dog and get rid of it it's just like no for y'all to to keep this going in the competition, y'all have to be that quick decision. Yeah. And so kind of keeping yourself distance from the dogs a little bit. I don't know if that's a fair way of putting it, but yeah, kind of, I would say, you know, you know, I'd say a little bit part of it too is, you know, you guys have a uh, certain months you can hunt and we're hunting year round and, you know, you can, you can have a two year old that can be pretty polished and, you know, you see what you, you know what he's going to be. And uh, I would say that's a big, a big difference in it, you know, but that doesn't mean, he could be a, you know, pleasure hunter could take him and, and love him, you know, and, and he would be great and, you know, have be his favorite dog for a long time, you know, and just, he just may not fit the competition arena that well, yeah you know, but it's, I'd say there, like you said, there's definitely both. There's some of them that, you know, will be part of the family forever. Yeah. Well, one last thing, let's talk gear real quick. You know, if, if say there's somebody out there listening to this is never coon hunted, but you know. They, you just lit a fire in them. They, they want to go coon hunting, and they're going to go buy a coon hound right now. Gear. There's not that much gear that you need. I mean, there's some. Yeah. That, uh, what's your must-have list if you want to be a coon hunter? Uh, if you're going coon hunting, you got to have a good set of boots with waders, uh, waterproof. Uh, that's a must-have. As much as you hunt around water and stuff, you got to have that. You know, make sure they're uh, good chaps on them. You know, for briars, you're going to get a bunch of those. Got to get you a good light, a good coon light, you know, a good bright one. That's a, definitely a must-have. A uh, good dog lead for your dog. Uh, 
I would highly recommend a tracking system too. You yeah. Know, just cause, uh, some crazy stuff can happen. Yeah, all all of you guys had your alphas out watching that. Yeah. That that was kind of interesting. Like y'all let them go, and then all four of y'all just immediately just watching them on, on the uh, on the tracker. And I found it really interesting because for those that are like, you know, how do you really know what your dog is doing just by looking at a tracker? I've done it with my dogs, and other people have been like, how do you know that? It's like you spend enough time hunting and watching these dogs, and you start picking up the patterns that they do to where I can usually, based on looking at at the screen or my watch, based on the distance and how they're working left or right – call when they're about to go on point oh yeah and i've done it a number of times and so like you guys can do the same thing oh yeah they're about to tree and so like that's that's invaluable for you guys because it's kind of a it it gives y'all kind of a cheat sheet before y'all call a tree or call something that you know in a competition to where I thought that was pretty interesting coming from an outsider. Um, if there's any coon hunters out there, they're probably going to get pissed off because I've come to one night hunt and I'm, I'm already going to suggest a rule change. I thought it would be interesting if you had like, if y'all would have had a non-partial judge with one handheld and y'all tie or sync up all the collars to that one handheld. Yeah. And then let's see the handlers dictate or, or call their individual dog's voices without the help of their their collars and handhelds oh yeah man that, that changes the game because uh <laughs> there's a lot of them you know i think you take that garment out of their hand they they don't they don't really know which one's theirs yeah you know and i, I truly mean that but not everybody but well, uh, that would definitely you, change it use you as an example would that alter any of your confidence level in calling your dog and and when they voice on game or tree no calling him no if i can hear him the big thing that it would help me is he's such a big hunter Knowing which direction he is at times, mm. you know that that's uh, the Garmin's a big deal with that for me. Well, see, cast. and that's what I'm thinking. Like, if you had the one judge to where it's just like you know you, you call it, somebody calls it, whatever dogs on tree, and then you have the guy like, yeah, they're that way, or yeah. that, he's that one. It's like you have that. That'd be interesting. But like you said, you know, you try and limit. You already have four people and four dogs out there. You're trying to limit the number of people out there and a judge yeah. is just another person to coordinate so like i understand it but i just thought that what might be pretty interesting to like okay let's see who really knows their dog's voices oh yeah i mean the, the garmin's been a game changer in the in the sport you know it's just it tells you a lot of things about your dog things you want to know and things some things you might not want to know <laughs> ignorance is bliss in a yeah, lot of ways but uh that's definitely it's you bring that up and that's definitely a big topic about coon hunters is uh I'm for the Garmin or I'm against the Garmin in the cast. You know, some guys love it. Some guys, you know. So some guys are saying get rid of it all altogether. Yeah. Because that's how it used to be when I started. You know, you didn't have the Garmin. You just had to know your dog. And, you know, I think I would still do that with the dogs I have now. But, uh. I would say would they just go so hard sometimes it's nice to know what direction they are. See, I think if y'all did that to just sync all the collars up to one handheld before y'all go. Oh yeah. And just put it put it away. And then it's like y'all have the security, y'all have the insurance policy of making sure you everybody knows where the dogs are. Yeah. But it brings that that old school element back to it to where it's like, all right, the houndsmen know know their hounds. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. I mean and then stuff like that's been brought up a lot with it. I don't know. I'm not against it. You know, yeah. I think the times guys, like I said, have been with guys and they don't, 
They're not sure which one's theirs. Yeah. But they got that garment in their hand that changes it. Well, like I said, if there's any houndsmen listening to this, they're probably like, shut up, man. You went on one night hunt, but it's just like, it's just something that popped up in my head. And I thought that would be kind of cool. Just kind of really highlight that. Yeah. That know your hound piece of it. Like really just highlight it. Yeah, man. And it's, it's funny you say that because that's a big topic that, yeah. you know, guys talk about a lot. Well, you th- there you go. I'm in charge of the rules committee now. <laughs> so. Man, I, I appreciate you taking the time, inviting me out here. And I, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely something that I'm going to do again. And yeah. uh, I'm not going to lie, you know, it got me thinking like, man, I'd love to have another coon hound. But uh, that's sleep, man. That's oh, yeah. <laughs> that's nice. Uh, that's something that I just I haven't, I never really got used to, even, yeah. even when I did it back in the day. But uh, we're definitely going to do it again. I know Harold's, you know, jealous. He he was really wanting to get up here for this. So we'll we'll definitely have to do it when his work kind of calms back down a little bit. But uh, I had fun, and, and I look forward to kind of exploring this world a little bit more in the coon hunt competitions. Yeah, man. I, I enjoyed it, too. I enjoyed having you, and uh, I always like sharing what I really like to do with people. So Yeah. It's, it's been fun. Yep. Well, I appreciate it, and we'll get off here, and I'll let you go finally catch some sleep. Sounds like you don't need it, though. Yeah, sounds good, man. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the show, Harold, once again, making making his return after a few weeks' absence. Harold, how's it going, buddy? It's good. Good to be back. Yep. What'd you think about the uh, coon hunting episode with old Adam French? I enjoyed it. Um, I think, well, I'm a little biased, though, because I grew up with Adam, so yeah. I was like, I think I was going to enjoy it no matter what, but I think it was a pretty good episode personally. So I thought it was interesting. You know, you, it, first off, you were supposed to get with us. Yeah. And then your work schedule changed like within the last couple of weeks and you weren't able to make it. And, uh, so that was a bummer. We were all looking forward to doing that, but man, it, it's a blast. This is something to where I think anybody that's listening to this podcast, I've, I've said it a number of times, kind of where my interest in hounds and, and dogs in general kind of really came from was, was the hounds. And I always enjoy getting out there and taking kind of a break from the bird dog world or versatile dog world and spending some time with the hounds. This was a different level because I've never done a competition hunt before and the night hunts. It, it, it was different. It was like a different element. It, it felt just like regular coon hunting did, but it, it was it was different at the same time because normally you're, I'm not in the woods with four different guys with all four dogs and they're all trying to like win. And so it was a really interesting perspective to see. Did you ever get a chance to do the night hunts with him before you you moved off, or like is that something that you guys did growing up? You know, I never no, I never did the competition stuff with him, and he I, he didn't, and I had moved away before he was kind of getting hot and heavy into that. So I uh, no, I never got to do any of the competition either. So the only competition hunt I've seen is on where the red fern grows. <laughs> yeah. But um, we did a lot of night hunts, obviously, just pleasure hunting, you know, a lot of that during high school. And I was, I had a black and tan, which you guys talked about on the podcast, or he talked about how that's kind of, he didn't see a lot of those. So um, now that he's hunting in that level and, you know, so it's kind of interesting to see it's kind of a bizarre breed for me to grab at the time i guess kind of like me hunting a pointer now it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> something just different yeah well and i mean what's interesting i don't know if there's another subsection of of hunting with dogs to where the average public 
the breeds that they're more accustomed to and may have heard of, red bone coonhounds, black and tan coonhounds, blue tick coonhounds, stuff like that, where the average person in, in, in the normal society would recognize a coon dog, generally they aren't the most popular ones for people that actually use them and actually hunt them. It's, you know, it's the walkers and English coonhounds and stuff like that to where your average person and average Joe just doesn't really know what those are as well as they do the red bone, probably because where the red fern grows. But it's just interesting. Like, I don't know if there's another subsection of dog dog owners and hunters to where people, the, the public, completely relate to their type of dogs in a completely different manner than what people actually use them with. I don't know. Does that make any sense? I definitely wish I could have went. <laughs> definitely jealous that I couldn't have tagged along on that because it definitely seemed like a good time. And like I said, I didn't have never got to do the competition side of it. So it had been interesting just to see how it's done. Well, as far as a fun hunt, just go back to the fun hunt. You haven't done the night hunt. Would you say a fun hunt is something that your average person can really get into and enjoy and have fun if they go and try it out for the first time? Well, that's, I guess, where I was trying to go with, get to later on in this was, um, yes. Because I think it's definitely a young man's game because I enjoy my sleep now. (laughs) (laughs) But um, also, I don't think you, you don't have to be out all night. Like Adam was kind of saying, different times of year, you, you could probably potentially get on some of them a little earlier in the night. But also, you want to keep working your dog. It's like a hunt, you know. It's not like, oh, we got one covey up. Let's go home. (laughs) Um, But I think if you're wanting, if you listen to this podcast and you don't have a dog and you have want to get into the gun dog world, and you know, you're not necessarily into the rabbits or bird dogs, I guess like coon hunting is a good start into the bird dog world, or I'm sorry, gun dog world, I should say. um, I think. Because it doesn't get any simpler. You grab your hound, you, you have some form of shotgun or, or rifle and, and a headlight, mm-hmm. right? You know, it, pretty low overhead, like Adam even talked about in the episode. You know, it's pretty like you need some a few quality pieces of gear, but it's certainly lower, lower overhead than other small game hunting. Yeah. And I think that it's like, okay, you get a dog and it, you can get a, a hound as a pleasure hunting hound and you know, get away with a little bit more as far as, you know, okay, this dog's gonna, um, you know, work for me and, you know, you you know, may not be that competition hound, but you're going to go out and have a good time Yeah, and, you know, you're going to treat maybe a possum, (laughs) but, um, it's, uh, it's a different world, man. The woods at night, if you've never been in the woods at night and you haven't chased a hound or something down a, a mountainside at night, it's just, it's just a completely different world. And I tell everybody, like, you need to find somebody and go check it out because not, not everybody's going to get into it. Cause like you said, the older we get, you know, that sleep is a big, big thing for, for a lot of people. Well, myself I say included. that, but I know some older gentlemen back home that are, oh, they're still are doing well it. beyond my ears, like in age they're you know, probably yeah. in their 60s, 70s, and they're still coon hunting. I guess you know? that's fair. It's not an age thing, but, like, whereas you said it, it's a young man's game, it, it's just not – your average person isn't going to all of a sudden start staying awake throughout the entire night and going to work the next day to get into it. But it's something if you haven't tried it, you need to do it at least once and go check it out because it's, it's a different experience. There is a reason why people – 
the the hardcore guys do this night in night out because it it, it is something special uh and and it's just enjoyable it's just a lot of fun every time i've gone out i've had a lot of fun and you know for those guys the, the bird hunters that think that you walk a lot of miles doing bird hunting well that's why i was getting out with the young man thing especially you hunting hill country down here appalachia it's like yeah that's you know, true you know where kirk price hunts yeah you know, so I think it's it, it can be a young man's game to that degree because it's like, well, I think that dog's eight miles away yep. in some hill country. Okay. Well, and something that we really haven't discussed any details on this, but, it, you know, after this hunt with Adam, we were trying to figure out when we we're going to be able to do another hunt with uh, you coming out. And we talked about maybe opening it up to like a Patreon patron thing, taking somebody that maybe hasn't done a coon hunt before we, we've just kicked the tires we hadn't figured out any details but if, if there's somebody that's interested that like you know would love to go on a coon hunt and, and you know we're somewhere around illinois or something you know reach out and let us know we might be able to piece together something to where it gets somebody new out there and gets to experience the coon hunt deal but but you know we might run that through up a, a, a patreon giveaway or something if there's enough people interested but i think it's something that it gets overlooked a lot nowadays is coon hunting and and just hound hunting in general and it's it's so steeped in our history and our culture and our tradition it's it doesn't take very long for the average person to be out in the woods with the hound dogs going off for them to kind of understand where that history comes from well there's that it just kind of hits this weird sensor in your brain i think but then though here's the weird thing and you guys kind of touched on it but didn't really say this i guess in the episode outright that i remember but you know People stopped getting bird dogs where I'm from in, in Illinois kind of because the habitat was gone and the birds were gone. And there was actually still a lot of coon hunters, you know, throughout, you know, most of that time and even, in you know, to now. But it's people just stopped coon hunting because not because of the lack of coon or habitat, because of the lack of the price of, you know, what you can get, you know, fur. Yeah. So we kind of just need to change our mindset on why are we going to go take this game that's kind of got you know not a reputable um rep good reputation to eat which which is unfortunate because it's not bad we touched on it a little bit on this episode as long as you make sure that you remove the the scent glands on them it's not a bad hunk of meat i'm I'm not saying that I, I, it's gonna be friday night like man i'm craving some raccoon right now but it's not bad i've eaten a lot worse game meat that a lot of people think is you know good table fare but you know i'm also not a picky eater yeah you know i i generally just eat anything but uh this i think if you eat if you eat hot dogs then <laughs> you could probably eat a raccoon well and i mean dude i've slow cooked in the crock pot a number of raccoons trapping at my old old place uh just trapping the coons trying to go after my chickens so we didn't go through a bunch of them but we slow cooked it and i mean you do it long enough i mean we did it just barbacoa style it was delicious but i'm not gonna say the answer to this is not everybody be like hey man the, the new meat eater cookbook 
raccoon special edition, <laughs> whatever it is. But uh, no, I mean, it's just something different. You know, it's not bad table fare. But yeah, until fur prices go back up, which in today's day and age, you know, I think it, it'll rebound a little bit at some point. Everything I think is there's cyclical, a chance, but more than, more than you think on that, just because, you know, a lot of this fake fur that's in the fashion industry is made out of plastics and stuff. And I think they're starting to become sort of an awakening to that. And it's like, okay, I think the, I, I think there's a potential for it to come full circle. I'll say that if if they would remove their head from the rear <laughs> and think about it, the the resources and how renewable that is is plastic. But that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast right there. So we'll save that one. That sounds like a good podcast. But yeah, um, I think the as far as fur, you know, or as far as the coonhunting thing goes, definitely if you've never done it, find someone in your area and just go do it. You may leave and be like, I don't get it. I mean, it was kind of cool. If you're if you're listening to this and you're into dogs and dog work, you're gonna appreciate some aspect of it. Just like the range of those dogs and hearing them and how you you go to it. Just the <laughs> overall drive, man. Yeah. You know, my, my red bone. I mean, we got on a couple coons here and there, but it was ultimately. He wasn't anything special. It was a Craigslist pup. We had some fun though. We went out there. It was enjoyable. Uh, it it's just something different, you it, know. It's a way. It's a very like I said. Like I said earlier, at the beginning of this, it's a good way to get into the gun dog world. If you're like thinking that the bird dog and the squirrel dog and any of those other things just seem overwhelming, this is pretty. I think it's pretty low key yeah. as far as getting started and maybe giving you confidence to get into other types of gun dog hunting. You know. Yeah. But um, definitely go try it if you haven't. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, we uh, this has not officially changed over to just a coon hound episode or, or podcast in general. Coon you know, hound it yourself. Coon hound it yourself. Heck yeah, I wouldn't have anything wrong with that <laughs> or any problem with that. But uh, bird dogs, man, you you got out here. You finally got to run your your girl for the first time in a few weeks. You've been so busy at work. How'd she do today? What did, what did you go after? Out, what did you go out there to do? Let's start with that. Yeah, uh, she hasn't really been doing a whole lot of bird training she's done we've been doing a lot of training in the backyard like place training and whoa whoa work and back just, to the fundamentals just doing things like that and then today you know and, and i've been coming out here and throwing some birds for her and bombing and here and there but yeah she hasn't had a lot of um contact it's been a couple of weeks since she's had bird contact at least probably so i was like let's come out today and do that and so i was like i put three launchers out three three birds in the launchers obviously pigeons and you know place place boards on the first two and then the last one was kind of a planted situation um and she did good i mean the first one she she moved a little bit i reset her and she stayed um and the next one she stayed through the flush so i fired and she kind of tried to mark the bird <laughs> So I kind of, it was kind of forgiving, but so she didn't break. She just took a step or two. Yeah. She kind of like was off the board, but was, you know, looking at the bird, like, why didn't it follow her? Did you shoot that little thing? So I was like, you know, treated as such. And then, um, the last one I kind of tried to, I didn't let her solidly point it. I just kind of saw her starting to get birdie and just popped it. So as soon as she caught scent, Mm -hmm. just pop. Yep. Yep. And she stayed through that. So heck yeah. And then, then you got to go over there and and take laid claim to the uh, first 
pointed wild quail on my property. That's right. Yeah, we was kind of put her back in the dog run, and I was going out and gathering the launchers and the cater boards, and I was like, I heard quail. I heard them this morning, too, and I was doing They're a little, going off this morning. A little here. turkey scouting, and I was like, man, I hear it again. And so... So I'm gonna go get the dog and let's just go try it. So we walked it and sure enough, she slammed a point on it and she, the quail doubled back and ran towards me and then went down <laughs> in the ditch and crossed the road. So yep. it well, was pretty cool. I flushed one this morning right off the uh, driveway. I just heard it whistling and I was in the kitchen screwing around. I'm like, I'm like, man, that suck sucker sounds close. And I went outside and sure enough, it was right there in the hedgerow and uh, i'm like all right here we go just to quote field of dreams yeah it's coming along it, they will come slowly but surely and we we're just talking about that it, it's crazy to see how much wildlife is out here after just really one year of managing this you know i've been here almost two years but the first year was a lot of interior crap that i had to do for the house right well, the past year I've been focusing on killing the fescue, killing the invasives, the Bradfords, the, the privet and all that stuff. And just by doing that, so far, I mean, we're barely into the growing season right now. Like the stuff really hasn't even been coming up, but we're seeing all kinds of different plants coming up. The wildlife between the quail, the wood ducks are nesting, the Canada geese are out here nesting, uh, rabbits are everywhere. And it's just like, all right, the last two springs that I've been here, not... I've not seen this much activity in the wildlife. So it, I'm really excited to see what this does, especially after maybe a couple burns and actually planting some stuff. I think it was Michael the other day told me, he's like, yeah, you have to actually start growing some stuff instead of just killing stuff, you know? And uh, not that I'm going to go out there planting a bunch of stuff, you know? It's well, native we've got, grasses. You got native browse there. There's a lot. There's plenty of that and, and bugs and such. But yeah, I mean, and you've got you've got agriculture all around your farm too, um, so. But yeah, it never hurts to have a little variety. Yeah, of some things. And that's what we're after, man. I just thought it was funny. You know, I got excited when you told me that that we had the first official dog point on a wild quail out here. So it's like, all right, you know, I, it, it didn't feel real because it's like, oh, this is a setup because I know <laughs> I think it's down here because I hear it whistling, but been cool if she just found it and we're like there, there it is but yeah it was i was it was kind of a challenge to get her in front of it as it was but i mean they're running you know yeah. it's cool it was cool so they're out there searching right now but man do you have anything else you want to talk about before we hit this this housekeeping stuff and wrap this sucker up i don't think so all right uh First and foremost, we are almost to the GDIY training camp. We are all but full. I mean, we have, I think, one slot left available. If somebody wanted it, it's May 6th through 8th, so not this upcoming weekend, but the next one. And so if you want in, like we have one one more slot with the dog available, and uh, it, we, we have a handful of observers and auditors coming, so it'll be a good time. If you haven't heard what the event is, then reach out to me. I'll catch everybody up, but I'm sure anybody that's already listening, they've heard this spiel a million times. So uh, just reach out to us if you're interested, gundogyourself at gmail.com, or find us on social media, and I'll be happy to give you more any, more information. Uh, Patreon, if you want to support the podcast, be sure to hit up patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Uh, that's the easiest way to support the podcast. We are still trying to come up with a, a bunch of good content and ways to, uh, to bring more value 
to the membership of Patreon. Uh, I know it's slow going, but we are figuring some things out and some different perks. So be on the lookout for that. We do have a couple discount codes and stuff up there, a couple bonus episodes here and there. So uh, check it out. And uh, with that, we have the review of the week. This one, Harold, is from Treeline Assassin on April 5th, titled Hands Down the Best. I can't say enough for this podcast. If you're a DIY guy or girl, this podcast is definitely for you. I've listened to a lot of the episodes multiple times to refresh my memory on training techniques. If you're just finding this, do yourself a favor and go back to episode one and start from the beginning and don't skip the profile episodes. There's a lot of good training info in those too. I've learned so much more listening to this podcast than watching YouTube videos. Heck of a review, Treeline Assassin. If you're listening, hit us up. Uh, give me your address and I'll be happy to shoot you a sticker and a hat in the mail. And guys, leave us a rating and review. It takes five seconds. It's free. Hit that five stars. Write up a review. Hit up Spotify, Facebook review, whatever. Harold, I think I've rambled on long enough. Is there anything else? Did I miss anything? I don't, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure we missed something. But. Yeah. Well, there's always next week for that. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Share with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and again year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.